even is an investor. That's changing with a new generation of funding alternatives to traditional venture capital. It might have implications for issues of equity. Today on Off the Sidelines. Welcome back to season two, episode four of Off the Sidelines, your guide to becoming a better investor. The world needs a new generation of great companies and we need your help. I am your host, Chris Wink, the co-founder and CEO of Technically, which is a, a news organization serving a community of innovative professionals. This is a podcast that takes a deep dive into a better future for business investment. Off the Sidelines is sponsored by Project Entrepreneur, a program by UBS. Project Entrepreneur is on a mission to change the status quo for female founders and accelerate their growth through increasing access to capital and building ecosystems to advance women entrepreneurs. They want to improve enabling environments for female founders and advance inclusive capital. That includes diversifying the pipeline of investors and supporters. In today's episode, we're exploring how private market investing is changing and what that means for investors and, yeah, entrepreneurs. So to do that, I got some help from Technically Assistant Editor, Stephen Babcock. Hello there, Stephen. Hey there, Chris. How are you? So when most of us use this term investor today, usually we're talking about investing in private businesses, at least we at Technically when we use it. And so we're talking about a system that, you know, it's 150 years old. The idea is you trade a bit of money and you get a bit of equity. You get a stake in that company. That's been going on for 150 years, and that's like different than giving some money and, and lending for interest, though there's like debt vehicles we're not going to talk about. That roughly makes sense, yes? Yeah, that's right. But we are finding now that maybe that old system could use some changing, especially given everything, the changes in technology, the knowing VC isn't necessarily the most efficient or effective method that we have out there to do this today. So around that, we're even seeing laws change. And that's bringing a change in practice for investors as well. Right. So that's today's episode. What are alternative options for equitable wealth creation? So to get at this question beyond our fine daily reporting, Stephen, you went out and had a couple of interviews with CEOs who are on the very cutting edge of this work, right? I did. And it's interesting how the landscape is changing. These very buzzy efforts are coming about to get speculative dollars into the hands of early stage entrepreneurs. So I spoke to this guy. We started ClearBank five years ago, really with the mission of shifting the balance of power in favor of founders. That's Andrew D'Souza. He's one of the two prominent co-founders and the CEO of ClearBank. They're a Toronto-based company that is experimenting with equity-free investing to help startup founders grow their businesses. He'll also explain how technology can be leveraged to remove personal bias from business decisions. I also spoke to this guy. Equity crowdfunding, or I call it retail investing, mm. will transform not just venture capital and private equity, but will give rise to a whole new era of innovation and prosperity in the U.S. and beyond. Right. So that's Kendrick Quinn, the co-founder and CEO of Republic. With him, I got into how crowdfunding can help bring new value to startups. He'll also discuss why way more people instead of buying a share of an Apple, should increasingly look to direct their money in private companies. So between Republic, which is trying to get way more people to put money into private businesses, and ClearBank, which is just trying to, a different approach to investing, equity-free, as you pointed out, 
Those are a couple examples of how we're seeing fundamental shifts in what private market investing can be. And, you know, technology, data science, software, this is driving big policy and culture shifts. Exactly. So, like, it might not be enough for you, Chris, uh, you know, the nerds among us. But I did get into some of the history and shifts coming to VC with Andrew from ClearBank. Most venture capitalists now have a business or finance background instead of a technical, you know, or science background. You know, it is a little bit ironic that although they're investing in the future, and especially in fintech, but 2020 it seems like it's really been a bit of a change in venture capital as a whole and in, in capital markets. And so, you know, I think anytime that there's a natural incumbent and the people from the inside are not necessarily incentivized, um, they're incentivized to maintain status quo, it needs to be somebody from the outside that comes in and sort of disrupts. And I think venture capital is no different than any other industry in that case. So let's pivot a little bit into talking about um, ClearBank's approach. Um, you know, do you see yourselves bringing change to that kind of model that, that we've had for, for so long? I think a big part of our mission, we started ClearBank uh, five years ago, really with the mission of shifting the balance of power in favor of founders. If you're a founder and you're, you're an entrepreneur and a business owner, the odds are so stacked against you. There's so many challenges on you know, why your business won't work and you know, your challenges in raising capital and your challenges in making decisions. And we really started by saying, okay, well, could we make a lot of those a little bit easier, right? And if, if you think about all of history, we've had the people with the money got to decide what got built. They decided which roads and which castles got built. They decided which companies and projects got funded. Now we're trying to shift that narrative a little bit and say the people that are taking the risk actually should, should get to decide and capital is ultimately a bit of a commodity. Yeah, it's so interesting. And I think that, you know, when we talk about entrepreneurship, uh, so often we see that maybe it's growing, but or we think that maybe it's growing by, based on the narratives we hear about unicorns, about, you know, all the kind of companies that exploded after, you know, kind of out of the Great Recession that happened uh, a dozen or so years ago. But the truth is that rates of entrepreneurship have been declining for decades. So, I mean, do you think new models of, of funding, do you think there could be a role there in, in, in reversing that? If you think about original rates of entrepreneurship, those were people that saw a need in the world, created a business, created a sustainable business from the very beginning, and then just owned their business. And maybe they, you know, maybe it became a family business, maybe they sold it at some point. That was sort of the real you know, blossoming of entrepreneurship. And I think there are a lot of people who would love to be able to become that type of entrepreneur, but don't know how to access the capital uh, required to be able to achieve sort of their their goals. And and they don't fit the traditional model of, you know, grow 10x, become a unicorn, an IPO, or, or die trying. And so our goal is to enable that type of entrepreneurship and let way more entrepreneurs take that step into risk without betting everything and putting it all online. And we know that in society, we're also going through a, a racial justice reckoning right now. And, you know, at the same time, we have these new models that are starting. And as we talk more about inclusive entrepreneurship and, and not only, on, you know, more inclusion on the entrepreneurial side, but also on the investor side. Do you think a new model here presents a path for more to be more equitable than private equity? I mean, yeah, 100 percent. Our goal here is to use data and technology to take that bias out of the process. You don't need a warm introduction to ClearBank. Uh, you can plug in your data and we really just look at we look at the fundamentals. If you have a product that customers will buy and you know how to find those customers efficiently, we want to back you. 
that's kind of a different paradigm. And we've seen very different results. And we funded businesses in all 50 states with a much more even distribution. We funded eight times more women. We're trying to get the stats on how many more you know, black founders and people of color, but significantly, I think 1% of, of VC-backed founders are black. We've got significantly more than that. But we don't actually even capture all of this data because we just look at you know, the fundamentals of the business. Obviously, the, there's a decision point too for the entrepreneurs, for the for the founders, and, and an approach that they take, right? I mean, do you find that folks are are they changing how they're kind of going out and trying to meet investors, or even changing the plan around fundraising? Um, if you think back, like Bill Gates owned something like you know 50 percent of Microsoft uh, when they took it public. Like Larry Ellison owned almost all of Oracle. Yeah, you know, Richard Branson still owns I think 100 percent of Virgin. Like the entrepreneurs that a lot of us look up to really own the majority of their business and, and control in their business. And I think the most recent crop of, of IPOs we've seen, you know, the founders own, you know, single digit percentages and, and have given up control. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs looking at that outcome, even if it's, you know, a financially great outcome, may not be as rewarding as really, you know, controlling your own destiny. And so I think we're seeing this sort of shift back to entrepreneurs that are getting much more savvy around what type of investors do I want to partner with? When do I really need the equity capital? Because if you think of equity capital as your most expensive form of capital. And let's dig in a little bit on, on ClearBank's model itself. Um, so yeah, are companies giving up equity here? or We don't do equity investments. I think what we realized was while we funded 3,300 businesses so far, we've said no to over 100,000. And many of those companies have gone on to do really well. And we've, uh, and we've really wanted to find a way to be able to, to partner with them at the earlier stages. And so we launched ClearBank Ventures, which allows us to use your valuation in two ways. You know, one, you could raise equity investment at that. And we're building a couple of partnerships that are allowing us to do that if they really want us. But what the majority, if you have strong margins, we've actually qualified you for a, a product that is structured like a revenue share doesn't take up equity and is effectively, you know, if your business is worth a million dollars today and you would give up 2% of that company for $20,000, instead we'd, we'd ask for 2% of your revenue for three to five years for that same 20,000. Mm, yeah, great. Really interesting. Yeah, as I mentioned, our audience, you know, we've got angel investors, active investors, um, as they're kind of maybe thinking about getting into, you know, there might be pursuing more of a traditional path just because we've kind of you know, always heard about venture capital and you assume it's one thing, but I, I mean, is that, should folks still do that? I, I mean, is it, what advice do you have? So I think venture capital, my goal really is to, you know, if we're successful and other alternative models are successful, venture capital really goes back to funding technical risk that moves humanity forward, right? And we're partnering with a number of angel investors. We're launching a scout program where, again, unlike traditional VCs have a very sort of elite sort of scout program and it, they source their scouts from you know their business school classmates and their portfolio companies which are already a relatively small group we're taking applications for our scout program globally and our goal is for that to be a very wide wide network of, of companies uh, or of founders or of scouts that, that can refer us great partners to work with you know we'd love to chat with those people that are thinking about doing that and then for angel investors, we actually have a great group of angel investors who refer us companies because they want to protect their ownership interest, right? And so if we can fund a company another million dollars without taking up equity, then that means that they get that they retain more ownership than they would have otherwise with a more dilutive option. So, Stephen, now let's pull in your conversation with Kendrick. Yeah, so Republic, Kendrick's company, is a platform that allows the average U.S. citizen to invest as little as $10 in a high-growth startup. That 
probably sounds like an absolute nightmare to any investor or entrepreneur who's had to manage a cap table. It does, but the idea here is that software is making this kind of micro-investment a lot easier. And more important still, he and Andrew both agree that technology can help remove this subconscious bias from the investing process. Kendrick's approach also focuses more on bringing a new type of investor into the startup space. Here he is, talking about recent changes to private investing. Before uh, 2016, uh, since the Great Depression, you have to be a millionaire to invest privately, whether that's in venture, in private equity, or in any form that is not a publicly traded company. In 2016, the law changed under the Jobs Act. Uh, President Obama implemented it, that anyone, any background, any net worth, any age can invest, you know, small amounts in, in private companies. Right now, we know we're going through a social justice reckoning. So with a new model, you know, should that be more equitable than, than private equity? And how do you build inclusion into that, you know, from the start, knowing that we are creating something new? There's no question that inclusion and leveling the playing field is a byproduct of this new method of financing, because we're now four years out at Republic on our crowd investing platform about 50 percent of the capital have gone to companies with an underserved founder here's a statistic venture capital statistically zero percent has gone to black female founders and black female founders have consistently been responsible for about 50 billion dollars of revenue so you can see how the current private equity and venture capital model serves some, but not all. And when you present our talents and innovations on a computer screen, somehow, miraculously, things are just a bit more fair. And you see that subconscious biases naturally are mitigated in a very substantial way when people invest programmatically or virtually online rather than through an in-person meeting in a conference room. Yeah, and the other side of this is potentially giving more access to companies as well. Um, but despite the narrative uh, that we might believe entrepreneurship is actually has been declining for decades in the U.S. So with new funding models, with equity crowdfunding, do you have expectations that that could change? Oh, I think equity crowdfunding, or I call it retail investing, will transform not just venture capital and private equity, but will give rise to a whole new era of innovation and prosperity in the U.S. and beyond. This new model of retail investing, we see entrepreneurs from Alaska, from Alabama, from West Virginia, from Chicago getting funded. And this is just 1 a.m. in. I think 10, 20 years out, you're going to see that many more companies that would grow into household brand through the financing they receive from retail investors, from their customers, without which they probably would not ever see the day of light or the light of day. And I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about your own uh, with Republic, because I, I was interested in specifically in the idea of uh, uh, one thing that we know is such a part of the of investment is due diligence. And um, 
is there still a role here uh, when we have equity crowdfunding for you know the kind of vetting and due diligence that we see you know in a in a from a typical private equity and venture capital kind of standpoint yeah i, I want to clarify uh, two misconceptions that we often hear uh, so one is that out of the three thirty thousand applications from startups to raise on republic we only launched 300 companies in the past four years so it's a very deep curative lens uh first and foremost we just want to make sure that our lens leaves room for the crowd to back. That is not that we don't just apply the narrow lens of our own team. The second uh, question there is whether or not crowd investing will replace venture capital. Well, the value proposition that crowd community funding brings to a startup is very different than the value proposition that a venture capital firm brings. One brings the deep expertise and connection and uh, introductions, and the other one brings the community engagement and ambassadorship that each customer turned investor will now go out there and evangelize for the product. So I think that the two very much coexist and it's going to synergize over time. So as I mentioned, our audience includes uh, angel investors, active investors, um, and folks who might be be thinking about pursuing, you know, what might be kind of a traditional path that we have in mind of of what venture capital and investing is. Uh, does that still make sense? Uh, what would you be your advice to them? My advice to uh, any founder out there looking at fundraising is to do a lot of research, inform yourself first on what is suitable for you and how much time it's going to take you. If the person or company has the bandwidth and the runway and really want to bring in their customers early on, they should consider crowd investing side by side with venture capital. As I mentioned from the get go, venture capital is not for everyone and venture capital brings a different value proposition than crowd investing. Uh, And so knowing whether your business model is suitable for VC backing Separately, whether your business model has a compelling need for capital from the community and can extract value out of community engagement, uh, two parallel analysis that any founder should do at any stage in their maturation cycle. How about for the Im- investor who might be thinking about angel investing, but you know maybe wants to and is looking to dip a toe in, in doing that? Uh, is, is there a path uh, that... You know, make the case why uh, a crowdfunding might could be a might be a path alongside that. It's very clear that companies are going public later and later and later. So by the time the company uh, files and goes IPO, much of the return has already been captured privately. So the need to invest privately in the private markets are far larger than the public markets as of today, and it's only growing. So this. Absolutely, any one part of your investment portfolio should have private investments. Republic is unique in that we enable people to participate very early at very low dollar amount. But private investing is highly risky. If an investor wants to do that and can take that risk, he or she should invest small amounts in a lot of companies that he or she finds suitable. Don't put all of your eggs in one basket. Invest in a bunch. 
So the big idea, as I understand it, about alternative funding may just be that what an investor is is changing. Yeah, and I think there's a sense that something does have to change. You know, VC isn't representative of our country as a whole. It isn't even consistently successful as an asset class. When it is successful, it it just doesn't benefit that many Americans. And this is a big part of the, the income and wealth inequality conversation we're having right now. Yeah. And, you know, underneath these new tech platforms, these financial vehicles, we're really seeing these companies taking a shot at fixing those underlying issues. Things like Republic are trying to get way more people involved in investing. And then we've got ClearBank trying to make better terms for entrepreneurs. Taken together is successful. You know, this can really have benefits for more Americans as a whole. So is this the end of the investor as we know it? You know, Chris, no, I don't think that's the point here. You know, we're still seeing the public markets have big institutional investors that just have way more cash and they they play a really different role. But I think this is just something that any traditional investor or VC has to understand. I mean, it's worth noting that ClearBank and Republic are, are prominent examples, but they're just examples of something we're seeing a lot of. We touched on the idea of equity crowdfunding that came out of the Federal Jobs Act. Just out of that, we're seeing efforts to fund everything from mainstream businesses, you know, to tech startups. All right, that's it. Thank you. Technically, Assistant Editor Stephen Babcock. You got it. All right, that is it. The fourth episode of the second season of Off the Sidelines, your investor education podcast. Off the Sidelines is sponsored by Project Entrepreneur, a program by UBS. If you love this, subscribe. Even better, leave a review. Pretty please, it really helps. Like always, music is by Blue Dot Sessions. The episode was produced by Q9 Creative, including Kevin Schmidlin and Catherine Nails, with post-production by Max Graham. I'm technically CEO Chris Wink. We'll be back next week. Bye.